As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. It was a fun weekend of college football, Stu. I got to be in studio, saw a lot of our friend Chris Peterson Friday night. Good game on FS1. We'll get into that a little later. Um, And yesterday was, you know, I had a blast yesterday. I started the day out at a bar in Redondo at 7 a.m., uh, because Fox had for our big noon game was USC was playing a 9 a.m. kickoff local time, or at least in LA at Colorado. But I just thought it was, there was so much wild. Wait, stuff. why were you at a bar? Uh, that's where I was doing a live hit for big noon. So gotcha. a bar that was a USC, it was really a bar restaurant and we had a good turnout and it was fun. Um, you know, and I think it's worth, you know, like, for people out here, hey, get used to it. Your 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 team or your teams in the case is UCLA are going to be playing some 9 a.m. kickoffs. And the fraternities and sororities that showed up, they embraced it. Is it that big an adjustment? Because they're used to everybody in LA is used to watching the NFL at 10 a.m. No, good point. It's also not that big. It's also not that big of an adjustment for the players. I mean, UCLA is practicing that time every day. And so I don't think it's I, I think it's more of an adjustment, probably for the people who are usually sitting on the couch. But for a lot of them, as you said, you know, there's a there's games that they'll watch. They're games they won't necessarily have to go to because usually right. it's a home game. It's not like the Chargers or Rams are playing at, at 10, but they're watching them if they're playing somebody else or they're watching some other games. So they definitely uh, represented well. I thought it was a good turnout. But the games yesterday, I thought, you know, we had good game. We had compelling games at noon, all the way right till you know, I don't know, twelve hours later. I'd ask you this. I know, I know what kind of jumped out at me for you. What were your biggest takeaways yesterday? The one that uh, I guess the one, the biggest takeaway to me is uh, Colorado USC confirmed to me what I suspected about USC. Uh, I, you know, ended up. Going, you know, it looked like Colorado or USC was going to do to Colorado what Oregon did for a half, and then Colorado comes storming back. Coes ends up, you know, you, even though Caleb Williams threw six touchdowns, the game they still wasn't decided till they recovered an onside kick, and it just confirms everybody's worst suspicions about USC that you still don't have a defense you can rely on there. You have the best player in college football on your quarterback. Um, but as I look at the Pac-12 this year, and all those great quarterbacks USC is going to face, and Shador Sanders was one of them, it's a, it's like it's a broken record with, with Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch. And he went in the press conference and said, oh, I disagree. It's not the same issues as last year. Well, there's some issues because it's like they just – even as they did upgrade the talent, and I think they did, they still, it's like they can't stay focused for four quarters. It's sloppy. It's 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 just like an adventure. <laughs> it's the USC football adventure 
who, who, you know, are they going to be able to keep the team out of the, the other team out of the end zone? Uh, or, or are they going to make tackles? Are they going to keep the team out of the end zone enough for them to outscore the other team? And because of that, this is a team that I had in the preseason going to the playoff, and I don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I got to admit, like, I thought they would be much better than they were last year. I do think they're better on defense because the personnel is better and they have a second year. But I, I don't know how you'd look at what happened in the second half yesterday against Colorado at Colorado and see how Colorado ran the ball, see how Colorado, like credit to Shador. He made a couple of throws that were like as good a throw as you can make. But at the same time, you know, the secondary still looks confused at times. And one thing that kind of came back to me that I remembered, you know, we did a bunch of, um, my TV crew did a bunch of OU games when Lincoln was a head coach and Grinch was the defensive coordinator at OU. And when he got there, they were a horrible defense. And he talked a lot over those, you know, first couple of years about how they had to change the mindset where what was going on with the Sooners was whenever they would give up a big play, it was like, oh God, here it goes again. And there was a tendency for, you know, the offense was so good. Remember, they had like back to back Heisman winners and then they had a Jalen come in there. And so it was like, oh, the offense is going to bail us out. It was almost like that kind of mentality started to seep in. And it looks like from the outside that that mentality certainly exists at USC. I mean, for context of how shaky this defense has been, they are by far worst in the Pac-12 in giving up plays of 20 plus yards. They've already given up 29. Worst in the Pac-12. They're also 118th in the country. And most of the other schools that are down there are really bad teams um, that have that have no con, you know, no thoughts of being a top 10 team. So, you know, they have to get better, but they have to get better really soon because you know, Arizona has a potent offense, and then they got to go to Notre Dame in two weeks. And you know, Notre Dame has a way better offensive line than what Colorado has. And they have a way better running game. So they're 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 more multiple. They have more their tight end is more of a weapon. Like I'm not ruling out that USC can't evolve over the second half of the season. But if you are a USC fan after whatever it is, 18 games of this. I don't know how you can say with much confidence, oh, yeah, they're going to get marketably better because, yes, Lincoln Riley said they're better. He doesn't see the same issues. But there's got to be concern there. I mean, Colorado had them on the ropes yesterday, and Colorado was doing it without, you know, without Travis Hunter and without a very good offensive line. And I look at this thinking, I'm not, I'm not going to. Yeah, as somebody who picked USC to, you know, to be a playoff team, I still I still think there's a chance they can do that. But man, it's it's very shaky right now. Uh yeah, that's that's to put it mildly. And I don't know why anybody this is the thing. It's not just USC. I mean, go back to Oklahoma. He's been with Alex Grinch since 2019. Um, I don't know what evidence there is to suggest that they will evolve and get better on defense because it's never happened before. Well, they did, Stu, that's not true, though. They did get quite a bit better from the time he took over to... Well, when the bar is that low, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, you're going to get better when you start with the, the bar so low. You, you know the... Okay, I'm going to ask you this on two fronts. Obviously, you follow USC very closely, but you also know more than anybody about the air raid. And I remember you did a story earlier this offseason about why is it so hard for teams that run the air raid to have a good defense? And what is the measure of a good, because we know a team with that style offense is not going to, you know, give up 17 points a game, but it's got to be better than what they've been doing. So um, why, why would, why, why should a USC fan believe that they're going to basically be the air raid team that cracks the code? I don't know. I think a lot of it goes back to the head coach, you know, like, Lincoln Riley is different than certainly Mike Leach uh, in that, you know, Mike wanted to want, he was fine with his quarterback throwing it 70 times a game. Lincoln, you know, certainly back when he was at Oklahoma with Bill Biedenboe, they ran the football and he still wanted to be physical. The questions are, and this kind of varies from season to season and certainly from, you know, air raid disciple to air raid disciple. 
of how you practice it and how much, uh, you know, work does the defense get that's good work for them, right? I, you know, in that story you're talking about, I remembered um, some of the coaches who were around, you know, Houston when they were rolling and then at Texas Tech where it was like, our heads are deep, you know, defensive guys, our heads are spinning when we're out there because they're just, you know, going so fast or doing their thing. And I'm not saying that's still going on at USC, but it's also, you know, how committed are they to practicing tackling and working on tackling? Now, that's not just a, an air raid question. I remember last year when we were around Nebraska after Scott Frost got fired. I mean, Scott Frost, not an air raid guy. I mean, he, you know, we know who he played for in Nebraska in college, but they didn't, they did not practice the same kind of tackling and i think again it's a risk of you know are we worried about getting guys hurt that kind of there's all sorts of things that go into it i you know again it was interesting because we talked about this offline yesterday a lot in the studio with grinch did a did a great job as leech's defense coordinator at wazoo but they were really undersized and they were really aggressive and active and they presented all sorts of problems I don't think this is the same kind of prism that's working, you know, in terms of, you know, I remember then he had Hercules Mata'afa, who was such a unique player because he was way undersized, but was super disruptive. And they had a lot of guys flying around. And what I thought was different about that group than what is different about this group seems to be, because I'm not in the, in the room with them, was they played with a ton of confidence and aggressiveness. I don't feel like when things start to get get a little dicey for USC, it just feels like, you know, the secondary where it has plenty of athletes, they just feel like they're a little hesitant at times. Um, you know, they still miss tackles and a lot of teams miss tackles, but they get pressure, you know, because they, you know, it's just, it is going to be really interesting because I, I have held out that at some point they're going to turn the corner. And it still could happen, but after this weekend, man, it, you know, I don't want to say it's blind faith because Lincoln Riley is a smart football coach and he, you know, he swears by Grinch and what they're doing there. But I'm sure a lot of people in Norman, Oklahoma, who would probably love nothing more to see the Trojans fall flat on their face, probably were, were like, yeah, I've seen this movie before. Well, they're going to play, you know, they're going to play at Notre Dame. And then there's back-to-back games where they're going to play Michael Penix and Bo Nix. And, and those teams, I mean, you know, Colorado is, I think we all agree, overachieving relative to what we thought they would do. They were never going to be a national championship contender, but Oregon and Washington are. And that's where, I, and by the way, you know, they, they almost, USC almost made the playoff last year with a terrible defense, but they caught a break and didn't play either of those teams. So that's where I think perhaps... We will find out for sure if this is possible. A team that I feel like, you know, you, you started the question, what was your big takeaway? The other one involves a team that's basically in the same exact predicament. The Ole Miss LSU 55-49, crazy, crazy, I would call it a circa 2008 Big 12 shootout. And you and I were both very high in LSU coming in the season. I had them making the playoff, and I just cannot believe how bad their defense is. Uh, they couldn't do anything. You know, we knew, obviously, the secondary has been a weakness since week one. But this wasn't just the secondary. They couldn't stop the run. They couldn't tackle. Um, every, every level of that defense was terrible. Now, they still almost won the game. They probably should have won the game. They were up 49-40 and, and let Ole Miss, you know, and, and couldn't stop Ole Miss from going ahead and and coming back and actually, you know, scoring two touchdowns down the stretch. Jaden Daniels, it's kind of like how I think it hasn't happened yet, but I think USC might waste having Caleb Williams and and not make a playoff with him. Um, Jaden Daniels, phenomenal yesterday. Uh, He did get just another, you know, seems like this happens every week where he just gets decked (laughs) on an open field tackle and, and fumbled, but you know, he was incredible for over 500 yards of offense. And the end result is LSU has two losses, had to ended up losing two games before September ended. And I think right there, unless they turn around and win every game from here and there's a two lost, 
you know, haven't has hasn't happened yet, but they say there's going to be a two team playoff team. You know, this will go down as a disappointing season for Brian Kelly. Yeah, I mean the the reality here is, and they were they had a weird season last year. Ultimately, a good, good season, certainly with the you know some blowout losses, but then a really good win against Alabama at home. I mean, if you look at their last seven games against FBS opponents, they're three and four, and they're three and four, and Jaden Daniels is playing out of his mind, like. I watch him and I'm like, he is so much better than what, you know, granted, he didn't have the talent around him at ASU that he has here, but I mean, he's, he's remarkable and they are losing. The defense has a lot of guys on it, a lot of studs. Now they, the secondary is a big drop off. It's like for a long time, and this is back in, you know, they were DBU. And they they were rolling them out there, and that feel like since you know Brian Kelly's got there, the cornerback coach who was terrific for so long, you know he's now someplace else in the SEC, and there's a big drop off at corner. I, you know, Max and I did our story on uh, on impact transfers, and there was a couple of tr- you know transfer corners who were getting hyped up, and the word we got out of Baton Rouge was like, well, Andre Sam as a safety is a really good addition. But corner is going to be a big problem, and it has been a big problem. And you know, I don't. You know, the other I, the other thing that needs you know injuries uh, have made it the starter starting corners weren't that great to begin with, and then they were in and out with injuries yesterday, so they're starting a freshman. And then the big one is you know the guy that you could count on was Greg Brooks, who transferred in from Arkansas last year, and he um, I think it was after the second game had to have surgery to remove a brain tumor. So they don't know if he's coming back at all. Uh, so, I mean, it's Brian Kelly flat out said it yesterday. Like there's, that's, that's who they've got to work with. That that's not, the talent's not going to suddenly get better back there. But like I said, it was, it was more than just the secondary. I think we also should turn around and give credit to Lane Kiffin because on this very podcast last week, we kind of went on a rant about this guy can't win the big game. He's never won anything of, of substance. And sure enough, the very next week, I mean, they talk about night and day from the Alabama game. They scored 10 points. They couldn't run the ball to uh, they exploded in this game. And so I think that's his biggest win as a head coach since since USC that, Oregon, since USC Oregon in 2011. Yeah, I think one thing that has been a a pleasant development for the Rebels has been Jackson Dart, who was something of a turnover machine uh, before he had 11 picks last year. Right now, 11 touchdowns, only two picks. Remember, they brought in Spencer Sanders. Walker Howard came in. He was a really talented, uh, you know, former five-star recruit. Jackson Dart stayed with it. They played well. The defense was, like, shaky. But, you know, again, the offense was good enough. I still, you know, look, I think we still need to see how, where they go from here. But it was a home game. I think it was a big win for Ole Miss. That's, you know, it's not the Egg Bowl, but this is a big rivalry as far as Ole Miss fans go. And so, and I, I'm sure, you know, Lane probably also relished beating Brian Kelly on top of it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So we talked a lot those first couple of weeks about, man, the SEC is losing all these non-conference games. They don't seem like they're as strong as usual. And I think that just continues to play out. There are only two teams, especially the SEC West, which for years has been viewed as the best division in college football. There's only two teams that made it to 2-0 in conference in that division, and it's Alabama and A&M. 
and both of whom, uh, if you recall, were, were this, were, you know, they were one of the stories of week two of getting, you know, handled Alabama by Texas, A&M by Miami. They're 2-0. and They're playing each other this weekend. Everybody else has a loss. Some of them are 0-2. Oh, Mississippi State is 0-3. Um, do you think that after all that panic about Alabama after week two, they're just going to end up winning the West like they often do? They might by default. I, I you know, I still look at them like obviously Jalen Mulrow, you know, had the big run where he just boat raced everybody. But I don't, you know, you look at what's in the division right now. We just talked about how dreadful both LSU and Ole Miss are on defense. Auburn gave, you know, his home and they gave Georgia pretty much all they could handle. I don't think Auburn's ready to be, you know, a top 25 team. Arkansas is not very good. Mississippi State's even worse. You know, then we talk about AM, which got shelled at Miami. These are not good defenses. I know you said it was like, I mean, I don't want to say this is very similar to what. Well, who, who's not? Those other teams don't have good defenses. I think Alabama and Alabama definitely does. Uh, and, and I watched a lot of that game against Mississippi State. They've got all these young guys now flying around. Like, I think. Alabama's I think that I think that side of the ball Texas I mean oh yeah they didn't play well against Texas for sure they did not I mean remember this is a home game for them I don't want to completely like you know they gave up you know almost 500 yards of offense it was not like it's but not, look at what Ole Miss did yesterday and they completely shut down Ole Miss uh Mississippi State you know is a kind of a mess but they picked off Will Rogers three. Like I think the defense is young and growing up pretty quickly, and I think, I think they have that side of the ball going. But they're going to continue to be very limited. Like basically, I think Saban's just gonna. It's like they're back to 2015. They're just going to run the ball a lot and play good defense and hope for the best. And that might be enough in this year's SEC, and in particular this year's SEC West, to get to Atlanta. Can I do this and ask you of? The, the the schedule they have left, it's at AM, obviously coming up, then Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU at Kentucky, and we'll get to Kentucky a little bit in a minute. Chattanooga and then at Auburn, obviously in the Iron Bowl. Do you give them, if I said over under chance of them running the table in the in the rest of the regular season, uh 50% chance you going with it? No, 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 no. I don't think they're running the table. But I did, you know, what what I where I am willing to readjust a little bit. I said nine and three before the season. After the Texas game, I said, "Yep, that looks like the right prediction, maybe worse." But as I look at the field, I now would be surprised if they lose more than once. Like I think they can get to ten and two. I do think the A and M game this week is tricky. Um, that place will be fired up. And then, uh, I mean, if you want to talk about them now, I will, but. At Kentucky, the surprise team of the SEC so far? Uh, I would actually say Mizzou. I, I was higher on Kentucky than you for two reasons. Um, I thought Liam Cohen is a big upgrade from Rich Scangarello, who was the NFL guy they brought in to run the offense last year. Liam was really good a couple of years ago when he was at there. Um, you know, you have more experience on the offensive line. Ray Davis was fantastic yesterday. You know, and I just think they are, they're a really good team. I don't know if they're a top 10 team. Obviously, they're 5-0. and oh. I mean, Florida is a really, really roller coaster. They looked horrible and unprepared at Utah. Then they really kind of thump Tennessee in that game in the swamp. And then they get hammered. They're down like 23 nothing yesterday at one point. They gave up a touchdown when they had 13 guys on the field. I mean, yeah, it's I think reports of their turnaround were, were premature. Um, yeah, it's so you, you've sold me or I've now sold on the on how good Liam Cohen is, because they obviously had a really good offense two years ago with Will. That's how that's where the Will Levis hype train started. Then he went back to the Rams for a year and they totally backslid last year. And now he's back and that offense is back. And, uh, you know, I think there was a lot of attention around Devin Leary, obviously transferring in there. But really the story to me is Ray Davis. 
Uh, he was fantastic yesterday. And so Kentucky, we'll find out one, one, one way or the other pretty soon. They play Georgia in Athens this week. And as we saw, they play Alabama later in the season. Can they spoil it? For one of those. Yeah, one of the guys I think people, you know, will should watch this week um, is a name that maybe only recruiting fans know and, and Kentucky fans, Trevin Wallace. He was a big recruit for them. He's a Georgia kid. It was a track guy. And I think, you know, that's a kind of kid who either goes to Georgia or Auburn. Kentucky got him. He was like John Summerall. Remember, he was the assistant before he went to Troy. Just raved about this kid. He's there. He is a big time playmaker for them. And, you know, look, I'm really interested to see Georgia has been very underwhelming so far, right? They had the bad first half against South Carolina. They sputtered and struggled and really needed Brock Bowers to step into the phone booth and carry them out of it yesterday. Um, They, I don't want to say their defense was, was, was really bad because at times they bowed up on like, you know, third and fourth short kind of situations. But that's a game that, you know, I'm really excited to see. I mean, Devin Leary has got to have a big, big game, I think, to um, to give them a chance to win that game because I feel like they're going to get Georgia's best. I mean, that's in Athens. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just a different vibe. And I think Kirby Smart knows, hey, this is – this is actually a, I'm not I'm not saying he's downplaying the other games, but this is a this one's going to be a circle it for them because when you look at what the rest of Georgia has right now, and again I'm not saying they're going to take Florida lightly because that's a big rivalry game and obviously Missouri's undefeated and they got to go to Knoxville later, but this is right now the one team where you're like man they're running the football well their offensive line has come together it was young and beaten up last year. And the quarterback is is dangerous. Like he's good. Um, you know, we know Mark Stoops plays good defense. So I don't know. I, I'm like I said, I was a little more of a believer in Kentucky, I think, than you are going into the year. I'm still not ready to go. Okay, they're you know, this one doesn't feel like it's a great spot to upset Georgia after last week and the fact that it's in Athens. Yeah, because they got a bit of a wake up call at Auburn for sure. Auburn cannot complete a forward pass, and yet it was down to the wire. I and Brock Bowers. Are you surprised at how fast Peyton Thorne looked yesterday? Yeah, where did that where did that come from? That's the thing. It was surprising to see them run the ball like they did. It's just like it was like they they watched the tape and it never occurred to them that Peyton Thorne might run the ball like that. Um, you know, with Georgia, what's hard to say is they clearly are not dominant like they have been the last two years. So that's obviously going to stand out, but I don't know that that means like that you're judging Georgia compared to their teams of the past. When you judge Georgia against the rest of the field in the country, that's where it gets a little more difficult. I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, they're, they're not the number one team. They're the 10th best team. I, I don't know what they should. I don't know who the number one team should be, but in fact, I'm going to bring that up here in a second, but it's just it's just hard to make that comparison because they didn't play anybody out of conference. I wish they had played. I know the Oklahoma game got canceled. I wish they had played somebody that gave you some point of comparison. One quick thing, which is kind of was like, oh, my God, I wasn't watching this is Peyton Thorne had almost 100 yards rushing against Georgia, averaged almost eight yards a carry, 92 yards. That's double what he had for the whole season last year. I know their sack yards are filled in the whole season last year, and he only had 181. <laughs> The year before that, I mean, it was like, in it was Hugh Freeze, yeah. And Devin Leary, by the way, can run. Like he's a really good athlete. I'm not saying he's going to go for 100 and Ray Davis's, but we'll see how Georgia responds. So around the time that that game was ending, Texas was putting the finishing touches on a 40 to 17 win over Kansas, who was ranked. Um, and who was without Jalen Daniels, in fairness? Yeah, that's the thing about Kansas. Jalen Daniels, it seems like he's never healthy. Uh, but regardless, uh, Texas, I mean, Quinn Ewers threw for over 300 yards, and they ran for over 300 yards. Jonathan Brooks, over 200 yards rush. So, Anwar Richardson, Texas beat writer, tweets, I think, you know, right after the game ended, no need for any college football voter to overthink it. Texas has two double-digit victories against ranked teams. Their smallest margin of victory is 10 points on the road against Bama. 
Their average margin of victory through five games is 23 points. Texas is the number one team in the country. Uh, compelling argument. Um, are you ready to go there? Look, I think Anwar does a good job on that beat. It doesn't matter. Yeah, like it, it doesn't it, matter. It doesn't but matter. It, Steve Sarkeesian yeah. would be like, I don't care where you rank us right now. You know, and they got Oklahoma this week. Crazy stuff happens in the Red River game. They know they they just destroyed OU last year. I mean, it 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 doesn't matter. I mean, if you ask me, you know, this comes back to, you know, I, I kind of get hung up on most deserving. And I feel like you might don't go into most deserving as much on, on resume. Um, I think I do once to the play it once we start getting into uh, yeah, we're actual, but yeah. like if you were a voter, rank that you're give me your top four right now. Your voter, see, that's the tricky thing is like, tricky, just give me it. You can't five weeks in, we should not be using the preseason perceptions of these teams anymore, but sometimes it's hard to, and especially with Michigan. Like, I don't know what to do with Michigan because they've, they've, they've been they've been dominant, but they haven't played anyone. And I feel like people fall for that every year with somebody. Oh, this is the most dominant team as, in the country. As, They're blowing everybody out. Really played, they played an Auburn team that was on the road. But South Carolina is not very good. No, I think it's true for both of them, although probably more so for Michigan. I mean, who's their who's the best team they face? Rutgers? Yes. Uh, you know, they, they, Nebraska is terrible. Rutgers is and so. What Anwar is bringing up is you're comparing a team like that to a team like Texas that has maybe the best non-conference victory of any team in the country this year at Texas or a team like or at Alabama or a team like Florida State that has beaten LSU and Clemson. But LSU win doesn't, like, doesn't look quite as impressive now, though, does it? It doesn't, but it's still better than anything on Michigan or Georgia's yeah, resume. Okay. Uh, I think I would default to Georgia. I think I would default to Georgia at number one. Um, call me unoriginal or hypocrite or, or whatever you want to do there. Uh, I think I would put Texas two. I think I would put um, Michigan three, FSU four. I'll and I'll throw you a little uh, wrinkle for number five. Oregon or Washington, you're going to say? Oregon. Yeah. Who I think I'm starting to come around to Oregon being one of the best teams in the country. You know, you you – um, see what Colorado was able to do on offense yesterday and consider that Oregon basically almost shut them out, like just completely dominated them. And, you know, it makes it kind of makes sense. Say what you will about Mario Cristobal as a coach, as an X's and O's coach, the guy can recruit and he left Oregon with some guys in the trenches. And I think that's the difference between them and maybe some of those other Pac-12 teams is they can beat you up up front. It's not just Bo Nix. I'm gonna agree with you on some of that. So well, sure. Well, you got now. You got to play the game. Who's your top five? Um, I'm not sticking Texas in there, and it's I'm doing them a favor by not doing that. By the way, I'm gonna write about Texas this week. I mean, my whole premise with them is I don't know if Texas is back, but I know Texas is different. That is where I'm seeing because they're different in the trenches, and but. I'm not putting them number one. Uh, my team that I think is going to win the national title is Michigan. They haven't played anybody very good. I mean, Rutgers is the most, is the best team, and they're four and one. But I, you know, who knows with them? Nebraska is not good. They dominated them. Um, I will go, and I'm going to use backward logic on this, just like you use backward logic to stay Georgia by default. I'm going to say Michigan, Georgia. Uh, Texas, Oregon, followed by Florida State, followed by Florida State. Um, I'm glad to see I'm not alone on on because, look, coming into the season, I I was concerned about Oregon because they lost so much experience on the offensive line. I, they haven't missed a beat on that offensive line. They might even be better on the offensive line. And so I wouldn't necessarily I think, you know, Washington, Washington is like Michigan, totally dominant so far. Haven't played anybody with a pulse. They actually got taken to the wire a little bit by Arizona. was not expecting that. And Arizona's um, playing, you know, Jed Fish done a nice job there. Noah Fafita came in. He was the backup. He's short but talented, and he played well. And they have firepower, and I think they have some – I just don't know if they have enough depth, but I think they're a pretty good team. They've come a long way. And, again, like you said, you know, Washington, they played Michigan State, who's pretty awful. 
even though it was on the road, it was still, and it was a reeling Michigan State program. So, I mean, they're looking impressive for the most part, but I don't know. I, I can't wait to see how all this stuff in the Pac-12 is going to shake out. Well, Oregon and Washington play each other in two weeks, and that will be about as big a Pac-12 conference game as we've had since probably, I don't know, since Mariota was at Oregon. I mean, that's that's a that's a intense rivalry to begin with. They're both going to probably be ranked at least seventh or eighth, if not higher. And it's the two, you know, the two great quarterbacks. So um, we'll see. I mean, up till this week, I was leaning Washington. Now I might be leaning Oregon. I think they're both really good. Okay, Stu, let me um, kick ahead. We talked, we've talked about obviously Kentucky and we've kind of glancingly passed into, into Rutgers, but I do want to ask you this. There are a handful of teams that I don't think anybody saw in the, as top 20, 20 teams um, that are either undefeated or doing way better than anybody thought. So I, I want to do this. I want to say who you buy in and who do you think is flukish? Because we've had a month into the season and I'm going to give you the, each team and I want you to say, okay, I think they're going to sustain it or kind of sustain it or I think they're going to fall apart. Okay. Okay. First one, I'm going to see this team this weekend in Columbus. The Maryland Terps, who you were pretty high on coming into the year, they are five and zero. Oh. Yeah. What does the rest of the year look like for them? I think the rest of the year for them looks like they are going to beat. They are going to spoil it for one of Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State. I don't know which one. You're buying. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm buying. Uh, I think they. Um, they. I mean, they just took it to Indiana. Not that Indiana's that good. I think. The difference with Maryland this year is they have a defense. Um, they, for years, have had receivers and running backs, and obviously they've got a great veteran quarterback, but they're they're playing defense this year. So I don't think they're going to win the Big Ten East by any means, but I don't think it's like, oh, they're, they're going to get killed by those big three teams. What about you? Um, I'm kind of buying, I, I don't want to knock, like they actually had a really talented secondary last year and they lost both corners to the NFL and they were big time guys. But yeah, I think, you know, they've had some athletes in places, but so far it's been good. I, you know, again, the defense, I don't know how well it's going to hold up. Cause if you look who they've played, it has not been a good group. I mean, my friend Biff Pogey's team, they're pretty salty on defense, but they're they're really one-dimensional on offense in year one. Virginia's really bad. We talked about how bad Michigan State is and Indiana's, you know, it's like I don't I don't know how you know how much you can read into that group of teams right now, what they've played, and it's gonna get now they're gonna go to Ohio State. And I don't know if they have the defensive backs like last year. Their dudes could kind of give um, could give Marvin Harrison Jr. some challenges. I don't know if they have that the capability of doing that. So, well, um, I don't think this week sets up well for them with Ohio State having an off week. No. Uh, it's in Columbus. That doesn't set up well for them. As you look further down the road, they've got Penn State at home, and they've got Michigan at home. Like put they, it put it in I the bank. They, they will to- screw it up for one of them. I think they're going to really miss Deontay Banks this week because he was he did an awesome job last year in this game, and now he's in the NFL. Um, all right, staying in the Big Ten, the Scarlet Knights of Rutgers, four and one, lost to Michigan, but Greg Schiano, he is a good coach. He did really well there his first run. They're pretty good on defense. Again, um, at least they played Michigan. That's more than. You know, Maryland has. Um, beyond that, it's been, you know, your alma mater, who's not good. Temple, who's not very good. Virginia Tech, who had a night, who had a decent win over Pitt, but has been struggling. And then FCS Wagner from Staten Island. So, what is if I say I'm what what record does Rutgers have to finish with for me to say I got I bought them and I got a and and my investment paid off? Uh, what do they have to do? That's a good question. Get to a bowl game. Yes, I think if you're Rutgers and you do that, you have to be happy. Because by the way, you're in the bad side, at least for now, of the Big Ten. So I'm looking at what they got. And I think there's a decent chance they're going because they're four and one. Now they play at Wisconsin this weekend. I think they'll lose, but I don't think it's like, 
I don't think it's that all overwhelming. They win that. Then they get Michigan State at home. Michigan State is a train wreck right now. Then they go to Bloomington and play Indiana, and Indiana is really bad. Right there, they could be bowl eligible before Halloween. Yeah. Now, now it gets a little nasty after that because then they got Ohio State at Iowa at Penn State, Maryland. That might be four ranked teams right there. So, um, yeah, I think they do it. I think they get to six. I do too. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't rule out winning at Wisconsin this week. The Big Ten West is awful. I want to quickly say something about Michigan State. So I didn't. I didn't watch much of the Iowa game last night, but I turned it on. It was late in the game, and it was a tie game. This was before the um, punt return for Iowa, uh, and they showed. For, you know, Mark D'Antonio. I knew that they brought him back. They brought him back, at, and I think he's playing a pretty prominent role because uh, the, the they come back from commercial and they show D'Antonio and Harlan Burnett standing right next to each other at the 50-yard line, um, and they're laughing. They're having a good laugh. It almost felt like that, that this is just like a, a – I don't know. It seemed like a weird time in the game. It wasn't like pregame or something. It was, I don't know, five, six minutes left, tie game, and they're just chucking it up on the sideline. It was it was kind of a to me a weird window into the just the overall weird situation that program's in. So Rutgers six wins, I'll buy it. All right, uh, let's go to the SEC. I don't want to talk about Kentucky because we already talked about them, but I do want to talk about the other undefeated team, the other other undefeated team in the SEC East, and that is the Mizzou Tigers five and zero. Had a nice win, obviously a couple of weeks ago, and they got some revenge against K State. What do we think? Or, I mean, is drink what's going to keep them in the top 25 by the year, end of the year? They look good. Um, Brady Cook looks good. Luther Burden looks good. Is he going to keep them in the top 25 by the end of the year? Let's pull up the old schedule. Um, well, the interesting thing is they play LSU this week. Yeah. You know, we just talked no, at length about no LSU. And, left. If you look at the last yeah. uh, seven games, LSU, it's home. At Kentucky, South Carolina, which has not been very good, but then it's at Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, home, and then at Arkansas. Like none of those are easy. I would imagine, you know, if you tell me are they going bowling, I'm saying yes, but because I think they beat South Carolina at home. Can they go nine and three? What percentage chance do you have that they go nine and three? Um, so we got to we got to get them to go four and three the rest of the way. I will say no. I think they would beat Florida. I think they beat South Carolina to go to seven. And I think they beat Arkansas. They should beat Arkansas. So I think they go eight and I think they go eight and four. I'm with you right there. And I still think that's a good season from from you know kind of where the program's been the last few years. Can we but if I'm a Missouri fan, I'm definitely aiming higher right now. I mean, remember they beat K State, who um won the Big Twelve last year and probably I mean, right now, it kind of looks like it's Texas and OU's conference again, but they're, I would put them number three in the Big 12 power rankings. And what's interesting to me is this game, we were just talking, you just mentioned that they got LSU next. LSU has issues in the secondary, and Missouri has two really good receivers the OEs who came from Oklahoma and Luther Burden, who has lived up to being the five star guy. It was a big get for them. He's a playmaker. The offense has, has really gotten better this year and you know let's see if again this is an interesting matchup i'm i'm interested to see how lsu responds because their defense got embarrassed in oxford um are they able to bounce back i don't think i don't think they're facing a jackson dart like kind of quarterback but they are facing good receivers and a team that seems to be playing with a lot of confidence so you think eight and four as well? I do. By the way, Luther Burton was a huge recruit for them, five-star guy. And I think he's lived up to the hype so far this year and may well be one of the best receivers in the country. So that that is going to be a problem with the, what we talked about with LSU's problems at corner. All right, who else is on your list? Uh, I'm going to give you uh, – well, let's just focus in on the undefeated. So I have – Two in the ACC. We're not going to talk about Miami here, but we are going to talk about Louisville at 5-0 and and North Carolina at 4-0. and Who has the better chance of those two of being a top 15 team? I think UNC. I think UNC, um, I mean, if you look at 
if we, let's just say Florida State makes the playoff, that means another ACC team would go to the Orange Bowl. And right now, I would pick that team to be UNC. What about you? Well, they get Miami at home in Chapel Hill, so that sets up well for them. I think when you look at their schedule, you know they still have Duke. They got to go to Clemson. Um, there's some bad teams in there. They have an FCS Campbell. They have Virginia, who's dreadful. They're zero five. They have Georgia Tech, who's right now not looking particularly good. Um, NC State won't be easy for them. Uh, I don't know. Like right now, we know Drake May is is terrific but their defense has been better yeah it was so bad last year here's the only thing for me on this because they did you know look spencer rattler and at that point south carolina to hold him to 17 is very good but i have a little more faith in lance gidry's defense than i do in gene chizik's defense you know um i don't know uh, like here's my here's my thing louisville i feel like every one of these teams you've brought up i've been like yeah sure bye louisville and i love jeff brom and i think he's gonna do a great job there they're the ones that feel like they're living on borrowed time a little bit you it's a it's a they play this week by the way oh they they this is the week where it might come crashing down they play notre dame uh they let's look at this here they don't play florida state or clemson though they do have to go 30 39 34 over georgia tech who in one of the strangest results of the season so far, got waxed yesterday by Bowling Green, of all teams. 21-14 over Indiana. Indiana's not good. They did crush BC 56-28, and then a 13-10 win at NC State this past week. I think it's a little bit of a deceiving record. Now, you you are correct. It is a fairly favorable schedule down the stretch. Notre Dame will be tough. Duke, Duke may not. Yeah, I mean, Duke has a great quarterback, and hopefully Riley Leonard's fine. But that did not look good um, Saturday night for Duke. Yes, I, they should have won the game. I mean, they. I know, but what they, I'm they is, second half they were the better team than Notre Dame, and then they blew it. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I know, but my my point on this is, if Riley Leonard's not the starting quarterback, if he can't go, yeah. I, changes the the math on how i mean it's you know mike elko's done an amazing job there but i just think it's a you know it's probably a they have a better chance of winning if you don't if riley leonard can't play looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years providing a 100 guarantee with every order from a worldwide selection of live events the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Louisville, five and zero. I'll say they finish eight and four. I, if I was a Louisville fan, I'd still take that. So I think they're going to split the next two games, and they have Virginia, ooh, Kentucky's. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because uh, really, Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Pitt. Maybe that gets you to eight. After that, I don't think you know. I don't know. They could beat Duke. I, eh, I'm going to say eight and four as well. Okay. Uh, Anybody else on, uh, still on this list? There is a team, and it's the best-kept secret on the West Coast, even though College Game Day seemed to have really turned on the folks in Pullman. Uh, Wazoo, Cameron Ward has played fantastic this season. They're 4-0. They, you know, we were talking about Texas a minute ago. They have a good resume, right? They, they beat a very good Oregon State team, which took it to Utah on Friday night, and they beat wisconsin um i don't know like can they win 10 games they can i'm i'm all in on the on the kooks um they if it were any other year in the pac-12 that team 
I would say, has a chance to win the Pac-12. Unfortunately, this is a year where Oregon and Washington look like national championship type contenders. They're obviously going to play both those teams. Although, as I look at the rest of it, they're also, but Stu, here's the thing. In one sense, the schedule looks good. In the other sense, it looks really bad. The part that looks bad, they have to go to UCLA this week. They have to go to Oregon and they have to go to arch rival Washington. Yeah. But then after the, yeah, I mean, I'm, it's, a, it's, I mean, you've also got Arizona and Stanford in there and Cal. So I, I they're going to win, a, they're going to win more games. It's whether they're going to win, are they going to knock off Washington or Oregon? Like one of those. I have no idea what shape Colorado will be in by November 17th, but obviously they can score some points. It's hard for me to get too worried about UCLA after UCLA's last performance against Utah. Utah has no offense to speak of without Cam Rising, and they still lost to them and Dante Moore played only, poorly. Here's, here's the, the, the flip side of that. I think UCLA, you know, Utah is a tough matchup for them in terms of they want to be physical and they want to they want to run the heck out of the ball and that's the one thing Utah can deal with. I don't know how well Washington State matches up against UCLA's offense. Um and I think UCLA does have a much improved defense and I think it's 2 weeks to get ready for what Ben Arbuckle does. I'm not saying that like, I think this is going to be a harder game for Washington State than probably most people realize. So it sounds like you're selling Washington State. You don't think they can get to 10 and 2. I don't because they have three really tough road games. And, you know, the one thing that, that I think is potentially good for Washington State of how the schedule shapes up is they get Oregon right after Oregon has to go to that's going to be like a game of the century kind of feel against Washington and it's in Seattle. I don't think that's great for, um, you know, that's bad timing for the Ducks because then all of a sudden they're like, ugh, we just dealt with Michael Penix in that offense and now we got Cameron Ward. But I think they, you know, what I'm talking myself out of and into is they could lose to, they could lose at UCLA and and beat Oregon and not, not upset Oregon. But I don't think they're going to beat, I don't think they're going to win the Apple Cup. By the way, that Colorado game is a Friday night game in Pullman where where CU has to turn around on six days. So I think I think things line up. I think Cam Ward has been sensational. He obviously gets overshadowed by the other big uh, quarterbacks in that conference. They've beaten two top 25 teams already. They have, I think, a pretty good defense, certainly a good defensive line. Give me the Cougs at 10 wins. There you go. Okay. I I want to go in with you on this now because I think they get one of those three road wins. I'm gonna agree. I'm gonna agree. The one that's kind of of those of those highly ranked Pac-12 teams, the two-time defending champs, Utah, is at a bit of a not crisis but crossroads moment where every week it's is Cam Rising going to play? Is he is he going to get cleared? And he doesn't get cleared. Can I ask you this on that topic? So Utah brought Cam Rising to Pac-12 Media Days, and he's obviously had a terrific career there. He's listed on the depth chart, and from everything I've heard, Kyle Whittingham does not want anybody asking him about is he going to play or not going to play. I mean, this is a terrific player. It's like it's, a, it's you know compelling. Now I think what's what's made an interesting dynamic is maybe the you know do the team doctors feel he's okay to play, but his own personal doctor who's a prominent surgeon uh, in Southern California, if he's not clearing them, then ultimately, you know, you also wonder, even if he's cleared, you know, Cam Rising's a really good running quarterback. You know, he's coming off a knee injury. It's not that long ago they had the knee injury. It was in, you know, early January. Um, you know, even if he's back, you know, is he, you know, is he going to be similar to what he was, you know, last year coming off a knee injury, you know? And is it enough? Like he definitely upgrades the offense, but that offense doesn't have a lot to speak for. Defense is great. also don't have Brand Keithy, by the way, who's also had a knee injury, and he's you know I think he would have been the the best playmaker he has to go throw to. Clearly, he was never going to play early in the season. So when you mention him coming to Pac-12 Media Day, it reminds me of long ago. Do you remember the name Dan Persa? Oh yeah, he was like a Northwestern quarterback. He was like Northwestern's Dan Kendra. He was, he was, uh, yes, he was, he, he had this one amazing season. I think he may still be like, if not the best completion percentage in NCAA history, close to it. 
And so they built this whole Heisman campaign around him going to the next year, Persa Strong. Um, but he got injured late in that season and it was kind of a similar situation. So they're sending these lunch boxes and stuff out to the voters. And then he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't ready. Like, and they knew it. They knew he wasn't going to play early in the season. Um, He's told me that reminds me of that. Please tell me Madeline brings a person strong lunchbox to second grade every day. I don't think I, first of all, I don't think it was a lunchbox. I'm mixing that up with another promotional campaign they did. It was, it was, I think it might've been weights. The, the phrase was, the phrase was Persa strong. Hey, by the way, there was a really weird site on Twitter last night, yesterday. Pat Fitzgerald on the Iowa sideline wearing a black polo shirt. I did not see that. I must, I must he, have he was there with his son, who I guess is a, is a recruit. And a couple other high school players, and it just it just looked so out of place. Of all the Iowa was always Northwestern's going back to Gary Barnett, like self made rival. Like we hate Iowa, so it was kind of kind of funny to see that. Hey Stu, before we get into shoutouts, one thing I did want to say, and I don't know where it fits, but Baylor has had a rough start to the season, and it was looking really rough. They looked like they were getting blown out at UCF, and I'm sitting there and like watching some of it. And it's like, ooh, this is not good for Dave Aranda or anybody there. And then it's a wild comeback. Just the and it, it, there was a wild comeback with a with a wild play by UCF's quarterback to to keep it going. Um, much needed win for the folks in in Waco. Did you happen to watch any of that? Oh, I, I, well, I wasn't watching the part where they were getting their butts kicked, but I watched the comeback. And if you haven't seen it, folks. Um, you need to go on YouTube or Twitter or whatever and find the play Bruce is talking about. It was final once once Baylor finally took the lead. UCF has one last chance to drive down the field, and UCF quarterback Timmy McLean, in order to avoid a sack, just keeps going backward and backward and backward. The play is starting at the thirty yard line. He ends up in his own end zone and finds a receiver and converts. What was it like fourth and fifteen? Uh, oh. and convert and converts it, but then they, uh, the best named kicker in the country, Colton Boomer, could not make the 59 yard field goal. Uh, you're right, they, I mean, if, if Dave Aranda won the Big 12 two years ago and has been kind of underwhelming since, and if they had lost that game, they would have been one in four. So much needed. Uh, they ruined UCF's Big 12 home debut, much needed comeback there. All right, Stu, I know there's good games coming up this weekend, but there is a huge game in the Pac-12 we've already been talking about. It's in the great city of Seattle. It is when Oregon on October 14th is going to face one of their big rivals. It's not the Beavers, but it is the Huskies. And we have a travel tip for anybody who's going to plan on making their pilgrimage up to see that great game. Yeah, there's a graduate hotel in Seattle. And we we we've been talking about them for several weeks here. It's such a cool tie-in to college football. Graduate Hotels has hotels in college towns all over the country. You can book a stay there as a season and get up to 20% off plus 50 bucks to spend on food and drinks when you use code GRADFB. That's G R A D F B. These hotels have everything, especially on football game weekends, live music, pregame refreshments, Next morning helpers, if you had a big night on Friday night. And I think, Bruce, most importantly, the hotel is usually walking distance to the stadium. I know that's the case in Seattle. So start planning that football weekend now. And don't forget, get up to 20% off your stay, plus $50 for food and drinks with promo code GRADFB. That's G-R-A-D-F-B. Book now at graduatehotels.com. Plus, you never know. You may get the cool room card that is somebody's former college ID. You may even get the Brock Heward one if you're going up to Seattle, you know, former Husky great and uh, noted obnoxious Mariners fan. All right, Stu, I will lead off our shout out segment. Shout out this week for me, Neil Brown at West Virginia was on a very hot seat coming into the year and they have quietly gotten off to a terrific start. They lost the opener at Penn State, which I don't think anyone was surprised that happened, 38-15. Since then, they have gotten on to a nice roll. Um, you know, they beat Duquesne, which was expected, beat one of their big rivals, Pitt, 17-6. And then, good win against Texas Tech and a really, really good win at TCU. 
Um, they are sitting at four and one. That is that is impressive. And the way they're doing it, you know, they're just playing really clean football. They're not having penalties or turnovers or negative plays on offense. They're good in special teams. And as you look at this, Stu, they have Houston coming up, then a really bad Oklahoma State team. I mean, both those teams have not won a game yet. Um, I mean, I guess uh, Oklahoma State's only 0-1, but in, in the Big 12, there is Oklahoma is really the only ranked team they have. West Virginia could, could and maybe this is putting the, the cart before the horse, Getting to nine wins and being in the top twenty-five does not look that out of out of out of the realm of possibility, given how how well they're playing. Um, okay, first of all, shout out to Neil Brown. I agree. I agree with the shout out. You might. I feel like you're getting a little ahead of yourself there. To me, there's a bit of a smoke and mirrors feel to this, where they don't have much of an offense to speak of, but they're getting the wins. Seventeen points against Pitt. Twenty points against Texas Tech. 24 points against TCU. You go back to the Penn State game, 15 points. Is that a sustainable formula that you're going to do the bare minimum on offense and beat all these Big 12 teams? I'm not. If you um, if you play good defense, which they are, and if you don't beat yourself on offense, I think, again, they're not playing against, against Michael Penix, and they're not playing against, against Caleb. They're playing, you know, I read off who those teams they're facing are. I mean, yeah, if you look at the rest of the schedule, it's it's a pretty dreadful rest of schedule, to be honest. And it's kind of reflective of the Big 12 this year. I will say BYU has been a pleasant surprise. Uh, they get them in Morgantown. They got to play Oklahoma at Oklahoma. Cincinnati, I don't think is very good. And we just talked about Baylor. They're definitely going to go to a bowl game, which means Neil Brown's definitely going to save his job, which coming into the season, I thought he was on the hottest seat in the country, arguably. Uh, nine wins seems asking a lot uh, with the with the offense they have, but good for him. Hey, they, they ran the ball well at TCU. They ran for over two hundred. TCU, by the way, is becoming the. Uh, somebody at, said to me last night, "Have you? Can you ever think of a team that won the national championship and was this bad the next year?" And I said, "Yes, I can." Notre Dame, Auburn, the year after Cam Newton. Well, maybe Max Duggan. That that's that's kind of what they look like right now. How about was Notre Dame's really bad year when they went like four and eight, like two seasons after they played for the national title? Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't immediately afterward. They did. I mean, now they think about it. I think they're like eight and five the year after they played in the national championship game, which might be around what TCU is heading toward. I just remember that as soon as Cam Newton left town, Auburn, you know, imploded and Gene Chizik got fired within a couple of years. Ready for my shout out? Yeah. I think we both have a lot of respect for Troy Calhoun, Air Force's coach. He's won a lot of games there, but they've never quite had that, you know, dream season kind of thing. Uh, they are 5-0. and for the. He's been the coach since 2007, and this is the first time they've started 5-0. and They destroyed Brady Hoke's San Diego State team, which, by the way, heading in the wrong direction. 49-10 yesterday. Beat San Jose State 45-20 the week before that. Um, Mountain West, I think is going to be the one to put the team in the New York six, New Year's Six this year, but I don't know which team it will be. Obviously, Fresno State's been impressive. They are going to play Wyoming here soon. Even UNLV is 4-1. and one. So going to be an interesting race down the stretch. Kudos to the Falcons. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to be Boise State, by the way. They lost yesterday. No. No, I was, I was dead wrong about them going into the season. But like the AAC, which lost all those teams – does not have a, to me, a New Year's Six candidate. So it's probably going to come from the Mountain West, maybe the Sun Belt, uh, although the best team in the Sun Belt so far is not eligible for a bowl, James Madison. Before we go, I, this is something that you know, yeah. came up in the conversation about this a little bit offline yesterday in our green room. Um, you know who does an amazing job, and we don't talk about him as a coach very much? And we, you know, and you just talked about the Mountain West. I got me thinking. Jeff Tedford is now fifteen and four since coming back to Fresno. You know, they lose Jake Hayner, and they're five and zero. Oh. Um, he's sixty-one years old. He had health issues a few years back, and then he, you know, forced him to step down. Jay, uh, Jeff Tedford is actually younger than Willie Fritz. He's two years older than Lance Leipold. Those are both guys who certainly Lance Leipold is going to be a hot commodity. Jeff Tedford, a guy we should be talking more about as like 
It, yes. You know, yes. Yes. I mean, things didn't end well at Cal, but looking back at his run at Cal, pretty phenomenal. Uh, they had uh, four top 25 teams, and obviously you know well the guys that came out of that program, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, Marshawn Lynch, Deshaun Jackson. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, list goes on and on. So that ended in 2012. And then he was out of it for a while, right? Out of coaching. And he comes yeah. back. He was up in the CFL for at some, I get confused when he was in the I CFL. I remember him being um, uh, like an analyst at Washington at one point. Am I remembering that right? Oh, you are right. That was, he was with, you know, he and Peterson go way back. So. So um, then he gets hired by Fresno State in 2017 and they go 10 and four then 12 and two. Then they go four and eight in 2019. He steps away again. Then he comes back last year and they go 10 and four with Jake Hayner. It would have been understandable that if this take a slide back without Jake Hayner, here they are five and zero with two power five wins. Are you, are you giving me a little tease of our top 25 coaches list next year? Um, I'm telling myself and you to remind us about him because he's a really good coach, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, well, it would be a cool story. Like they, they were on the very short list of teams right now that I would say are a contender to be that group of five New Year six team. And he's never he's never had that. I mean, even the Cal great Cal teams never. I'm looking here now. They played in a holiday bowl, Vegas bowl, holiday bowl. Remember the Emerald Bowl? Remember the Poinsettia Bowl? I don't believe. Yeah, he's never coached in a major bowl game. So it would be. Interesting if it ended up happening finally, but at Fresno State. There you go. Okay, on that note, we will see you guys. We'll see you guys for our mailbag episode. So send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. See you next time. How did we get away with the things we used to do?